New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Statistics tell us that we think up to 70,000 thoughts per day. Most of us probably don't think about questioning our thoughts. If some portion of them, let's say half or even a third of them, are negative, it is easy to see how letting those thoughts go unchecked and unquestioned will make trying to stay positive and productive difficult. Our guest today, Aura Nadrich, says, your thoughts belong to no one but you. You are the creator and master of your internal dialogue, which creates your reality. And she goes on to say, you can make them what you want them to be. Today, we'll be exploring practical and effective ways to question our thoughts by inquiring what purpose they serve for our well-being. Are they useful and productive, or do they make us feel bad or diminished in some way? Aura Nadrich is a certified life coach and mindfulness meditation teacher. A former actress and screenwriter, Nadrich retired to devote her time to explore in-depth psychology and various spiritual approaches to life, including Kabbalah, Buddhism, and Siddha Yoga. She's the author of Says who? How one simple question can change the way you think forever. Join us for the next hour as we explore self-limiting thoughts and how to transform them with our guest, Aura Nadridge. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Aura, welcome. Hi, Justine. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I want to go back to a little bit of your beginning. I know that you tell the story of the first years of your life were just great. You had a wonderful upbringing and supportive, and and then all of that kind of came to a screeching halt by a circumstance. So can you tell our listeners what happened there? Yes, I say that I was a, a happy young girl, and I have memories of myself skipping more than walking, is what I say in my book, Says Who. And then when I was not quite 15 years old, one of my older sisters, I had two, now I have one, uh, my sister Esther had a nervous breakdown, a mental breakdown at the time that was called a nervous breakdown. And it was shocking and devastating. I 
absolutely idolized my sister. I looked up to her. I, my girlfriends sometimes say uh, we used to come over to basically hang out with your sister, you know, because she was such a incredible being, this force of nature, if you will. She was just this very special soul. And when that happened to her, it was, as I said, it was devastating and tragic. And I, being the youngest of four children, it really was quite traumatic. It was traumatic for all of us, but I think I really took the blow quite hard, you know, being the youngest and having a not quite formed psyche myself. I was not at all prepared for this type of devastation. And you were really kind of dependent on her for for different companionship and suddenly she's not there in the same way. Exactly. Do you know, you know, having older siblings that you look up to and idolize and then what seem like they are fine one day and then the next day they're not, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. It just didn't make any sense to me that this uh, sister of mine who was very spirited and laughed all the time and had such amazing energy as I said, could be fine one day or seemingly so, and then one day never the same again. So we'll go on with your life. Still, you were very successful. You were actress, a successful actress, and you you managed life pretty well. But but there was something that popped out for me in your story when you talked about the time when you were acting. And you got more exposure to the public. It became difficult for you, stressful for you. Can you describe what what that was like? I mean, you would think you're out there and you're popular and you're you're successful and everything's great. But there's something else going on. Well, there was something else going on, and it was very much beneath the surface, and I didn't know it. Uh, I had deep anxiety because of what had happened to my sister, and I really say that was my first says-who moment because I had this experience, and as I said, it was very traumatic, and I buried it in my subconscious and then went on to have this career, this acting career. But what started to happen is that I began to experience what I say in Says Who, the side effects or the symptoms of a thought that we have that we might not be aware of, which is what happened to me. So yes, on the surface, it all seemed good. It seemed like everything was going great for me. I was a working actress. Um, Things were really going wonderful in so many ways, but there was something that was percolating under the surface that was disturbing, very disturbing for me. And so you started to explore different psychologies uh, and then also different spiritual paths? I did. I've always been a seeker, you know, separate from what had happened to my sister. I always was very much an inquisitive child. I was a very curious child. Um, I was a child who wrote poetry at a young age. I say I was an unintentional existentialist, like I didn't know this about myself. So I was, I was a seeker. And then when that had happened to my sister, it really um, even deepened my wanting to know more about the way we think and the psyche and our mental states of being, if you will. So I went on a a deep, uh, long psycho-spiritual journey because I knew that I needed 
to know more and then ultimately that I needed help because my anxiety started to worsen over time. Which path, which spiritual path or, or psychological path that really served you the best? Can I ask that? Which one just sort of nailed it for you a bit? Great question. And what nailed it for me big time was Jungian analysis. That was it. That was really the, I call that divine providence because I knew that I needed help and I knew that I needed to go deeper into my own unconscious, which is very perfect for Jungian analysis, you know, because Jung worked so much around the unconscious and the shadow and the individuation process and knowing who we are separate from what has happened to us, do you know? So it was a perfect match for me, and I feel so blessed. And I do consider it divine providence in as much as that I had read some Jungian psychology books. I didn't know what would await me, and that was to go into Jungian analysis. Great. Uh, now, you've mentioned several times, uh, says who, and that's a method that you have developed. So I know our listeners are curious after mentioning it several times. First, how did you develop this method? And then we'll talk about what that method is. Okay. So fast forward to many years after all of what I've so far described to you. I became a certified life coach. I knew that I wanted to help people and I wanted to help them understand their psyches better. And I had had such a deep psycho-spiritual journey that I wanted to do something like that. You were already doing that just as a friend to friend, yes, right? I, yes, I was. I had a friend of mine recently say to me, you know, or you've been coaching me for God knows how long. I can remember you coaching me 30 years ago and you weren't even a life coach then. So yes, I've always been a helper healer, if you will. I've always been somebody who wants to help, who wants to help people understand themselves better. So that was an inherent uh, understanding that I think I had for quite some time. Became a life coach and started to see clients and began to see a similar pattern in my clients that they had thoughts that they believed were true, just like I had a thought that I believed was true around my sister, and that was that I was going to go crazy like she did. That was the thought that I held on to and I had buried in my subconscious. And we can go into that further in that, you know, those thoughts become beliefs. Sometimes we're not conscious of the thoughts that we bury, and then we start to feel what I say, the side effects or the symptoms, which is what caused my anxiety. I had one client in particular who came to me, and I thought she was coming to me to discuss a new business that she was creating. And right at the beginning of our session together, she said, you know, or I have this thought that really just scares me terribly, and it's been coming up a lot lately. And I said, okay, do you want to talk about it? And she said, yeah, because it's really right here with me today. And she said, I have this fear that I'm going to be homeless and penniless. And that was really quite something to hear her say that, because then I felt I was in the presence of someone with two minds. Here is a woman who I thought coming to me to discuss this new business idea, and that's a very proactive, positive thinking mind. And then she's just revealed what I call a boogeyman thought, a fear-based thought, that she's going to become homeless and penniless. And I thought, 
hmm, that's very interesting. These two thinking minds are at odds with one another. And when she said that to me, I got this very strong, intuitive feeling, if you will. I'm very intuitive. And I thought, I don't believe that's her own original thought. I believe she got that from somewhere. So what came up for me in that moment was, says who? Who is saying that thought in her mind? I don't know where that came from, but it came to me. And that was a great aha moment for me. So that was the first beginnings of this question, says who? Who is saying that thought in your mind? And I took it one step further and I asked her, says who? Who is saying you're going to be homeless and penniless? Well, she suddenly looked like a deer in headlights. No one had ever asked her that before. Wow, that's a wonderful aha moment for both you and her. And what a powerful question to have her. She's been having this thought, and she finally expresses it out loud to someone. And then she's asked, wait a minute. Who's saying that? Says who that you're going to be penniless or homeless or whatever? That that's that's very powerful. So I, I want to know more about her response to that in just one moment. But I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Aura Nadrich, and she is the author of "Says Who: How One Simple Question." can change the way you think forever. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, auranadrich.com. And she spells her name O-R-A, Aura. The second, her last name is Nadrich, N-A-D-R-I-C-H, auranadrich.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with life coach Aura Nadrich, and she's the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. Or we're talking about this aha moment when you first use that phrase, says who? You questioned your client about this thought she had. And how did she respond to that? Was she immediately able to say, okay, you know, she didn't know what to say immediately. She actually looked like a deer in headlights. And what I describe that as that she didn't have a reference point for that question because nobody had ever asked it before. And when I asked it, uh, I, she seemed quite startled by it. And 
then I took it one step further. And I said, have you heard someone say that thought before? And it was when I asked her that second question, which is one of the says who method questions. I didn't know it at the time. This was the, was the beginnings of my method that I created. When I asked her that specific question, have you heard someone say that you're going to be homeless and penniless before? Her face completely changed and she started to cry. And I clearly touched upon something for her. And she got emotional and she said, oh my God, I, I've never connected this before. I've never had anybody ask me that. I've never asked myself that before. And yes, I have heard someone say that before. My father used to say that all the time when we were growing up. Work was sometimes you know, not stable for him, and it would be scarce, and then he would work, and then he'd have money, and then he wouldn't have money, and he would say, we're going to be homeless, we're going to be out on the streets. And she was a young girl, and she was petrified. And so she would go into a deep fear state. And then I said to her, okay, well, can you see that this was your father's fear thought? And it began with him. And you've taken on your father's fear, and it's now become yours. And that's what I call connecting the dots. And when I did that, it was such a big revelation for her. And it freed her up to know that she has been at the effect of a thought that once you can identify it and know its origin, that in her case, it did not begin with her. It was a thought that she took on that was someone else's fear, her father's, and she had taken it on as her own. She suddenly felt free that she could then now release that fear that it was not her original fear and begin to work with that, which she did. She began to process it. So it was a major breakthrough for her. I'd like to ask you, now, if someone such as this person had this thought, it was instilled in her, in her childhood, obviously, and... um then it seems to me, Aura, that something like that in the subconscious, that we're not even conscious of that fear, but that, that emotional vibration, so to speak, um, is kind of living in the body and just having an intellectual knowledge that, oh, that's what my father used to say. It just seems to me that uh, it's... It's hard to to just say, oh, because I knew my father said that, then suddenly I'm not going to, I can release it. Is, yeah. Isn't there something more to it? Yes, Aura? of course. It's not that you suddenly, you know, it's what I say about the says who method. This takes practice. And the information of knowing that something belongs to someone else, but has had power over us, that has controlled our thinking, you now can begin the steps of separating yourself from being at the effect of a thought that you have an understanding about where it began. Do you know, you can start the conversation with yourself and say, hey, you know what? I didn't choose this thought. 
This thought was thrust upon me, or this thought was imposed upon me, or I absorbed this thought because it was the fear of my father. I can do what I call in my book, Release and Replace, which is a technique for releasing that thought and replacing it with a new thought. So quickly, I might add that something to replace that would be, you know, that fear was my father's fear. Not my fear. It became my fear because it was my father's fear. I no longer have to have it control me like it has for so long. That becomes the release and replace method. This becomes a discipline of the mind. So what you're saying is the first step is to acknowledge it. Absolutely. And that's what I talk about in Says Who. That is the very first step is to become aware of our thoughts, to become aware, to acknowledge that we have these thoughts, or what I say, own the thought. And then you begin the process of dismantling it and reconstructing a new healthy thought in its place. So so the second one that you've spoken about is that you ask the question, have you heard this before? Right. Like uh, from the outside, it was like from the outside coming into yes. you. It, it was something imposed on you. Most likely, in it goes back to childhood. Right. So, and then the third step is, I, I love this question. Do you like this thought? <laughs> I just love that question. It's like it's so simple, Aura. It's just like, okay, my father said this, and and I have this thought, and then. You asked me, well, Justine, do you like this thought? (laughs) Do you know, it's really, I say that that is my favorite of the says who questions. These are very simple, straightforward, what I call user-friendly questions. They really bring forward the illogical aspect of the thoughts that we hold on to and make sense as to why we would want to let them go. A thought like, a question like, do I like this thought, which I ask myself till today, if I get one of those random thoughts that pops into my head, I'll say, I don't really like that thought. So therefore, I can I can choose to let it go or replace it with a thought that I do like. Do you know? And it makes sense. You know, if you begin to say, oh, I'm going to let that thought go, or I can let that thought go, meaning I don't have to hold on to that thought. I can bring a new thought forward in my mind in its place that I actually rather like. Right. Hmm. That just reminds me of something you talk about, about the, let's say, our our habitual worry if we if we we worry and and you really i think you really have something wonderful to say about that or enlightening to say about the habit of worry and why we stay in that let's say if we don't ask that question do i like this thought why why we might even choose to stay in worry right and the word that you just said choose is so important It's a choice. We have choices here. We have to remember this is our mind. These are our thoughts. And we can decide what we want to do with them. Do you know, people oftentimes think that something bigger than them or more powerful than them has power over them. And it feels that way. It does feel that way when we we give over to our thinking mind and then have those thoughts of worry control us. So something like worry, which we all do, something like have negative thoughts, which we all do, we have negative thoughts. It's part of the thinking process. You know, we have some of the 
you know, with all the neuroscience, I love it because it really, I think my work fits in so well in that you introduce a new thought. You can introduce a new neural pathway. You default not to those negative thoughts, not to those worry thoughts, but put new thoughts in their place. You know, worry, I say, doesn't really do much good for us. Do you know, what does worry do? It just makes us more worried. And if you can put something in its place, as I talk about in the something to worry about thoughts in the chapter of Says Who, change out a worried thought for maybe a thought of maybe it's a prayer or it's an affirmation. Maybe somebody you know is going through something difficult or they're about to have maybe surgery or they're going through a divorce or you're worrying about a family member or a loved one. Substitute maybe a thought of prayer or gratitude or, or, gratitude mm-hmm. or visualization but it, for it, the worry. The insidious part of worry particularly we all want to be productive, and so we go to worry, and you, you mentioned this in your book, uh, you go to worry, and somehow it gives us the feeling that we're being productive. Right. You know? Yes. I mean, so that's the payoff. Right. Say something about that. Pro- it's pro- like the mind is inclined to problem solve, do you know? And that's all fine and good if you give it something important to solve, but you know, with something like worry, we can interpret that as busyness in our mind. And, you know, sometimes we do feel that we're being productive when we have something to occupy our mind. That's why I think things like meditation, taking breaks where you can quiet the mind from its busyness or what's called the Buddhist term monkey mind, where the mind is always trying to get you distracted or to trip you up or to worry. Do you know, I one of my clients said something which I thought was so funny. She said, you know, I've really implemented the says who method and been very aware of my worry, you know, over worry thoughts. She said, and I now, because I have an awareness of them, I can do the release and replace and switch them out for a non-worry thought. She said, and then one day I found myself like I was busy and I was being very productive. And suddenly I thought, oh, I haven't worried for the last hour. What's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) She worried about not worrying. (laughs) That's great. I love it. I love it. So we've we've talked about, all right, first of all, acknowledge the thought. That's a big one because we've got to catch the thought, be conscious of the thought. Secondly, um, have I heard someone say this before? Is it my thought or has it been something in my subconscious? Third, do I like this thought? The fourth one is... Does this thought work for me? Right. So say something about that question. Right. Another good question to ask yourself when you're in the grips of a thought that really isn't making you feel good or is, isn't working for you. You know, I say, how is that thought working for you favorably? That's a very important question to ask, you know. Is it making you feel more productive? Is it making you feel good about yourself? Is it making you feel like you can get the job done or the task done or the chore or the errand? You know, how is it working for you? Is it working for you in a positive, constructive way? You know, I don't personally think negative thoughts or fear-based thoughts can work for us unless we use them 
to change them and find a way that we can replace that worried or negative thought with something that can incentivize us to get something done. So I don't think that the negative thoughts work for us. They certainly don't work for me. The thoughts that work for me are the thoughts that I feel are productive and they're constructive and they're life-affirming. Those are the thoughts that work for me. Well, it it reminds me, though, Aura, um, I'm I'm thinking of about process-oriented psychology, mm-hmm. the work of Arnie Mandel. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, he really talks about addiction, and I'm just saying that phrase that Dr. Phil would say. He said, does that work for you? And it just feels so surface, like, oh, fine. No, it doesn't work for me, but... <laughs> You know, it's not really going into the positive reasons we do it in the first place, like the positive reasons that we go into addiction. Uh, And I'm going to have to pause there and remind our listeners that I'm here with Aura Nadrich, and she is the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Aura Nadrich, and she's the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. And we're talking about, let's see, the one, two, three, the fourth question of five, six questions, let's say. And the fourth question is, does this thought work for me? And I was just saying something like, um, Let's say that we have an addiction. Let's say uh, we're addicted to heroin mm. or an opiate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so there's a real deep reason. It's not like saying, okay, well, just uh, what, did, what did Nancy Reagan say? Just say no. Mm-hmm. Just say no. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Mm-hmm. But there, if you go deeper mm-hmm. into it, mm-hmm. there was a payoff mm-hmm. that led me into this path in the first place. Right. There was a payoff. And, and if you go deep enough, you find that payoff, and then you can work with, well, does this work for me? But if you just ride the surface of it, you might not yeah, get there. What, not, what do you have I'm to not, say about Yes, I'm not one for riding the surface of anything. Do you know, these thoughts, as I said, they sound simple and they're logical, but they have much deeper ways of going in there to find out, you know, what's really going on inside there. A question like, does this thought work for me? If you want to use the addiction example, you know, does being an addict work for you? You know, now people can answer those questions all very straightforward. Yes, this is why being an addict works for me. Do you know um, you where you would take it deeper is does being dependent on drugs work for you? Does suffering work for you? Does putting your life in danger work for you? You know, does harming yourself work for you? Do you know there's you there are many 
questions, many ways to go deeper into how is, if we're going to use addiction again as an example, how does being addicted work for you or being an addict work for you? I would I would think one of the questions that comes up for me that, that goes deeply into it that might affect if I were in that kind of addiction, uh, there's, I think, a human social need to connect with others. Right. That, that is one of our basic human needs. Of course. And if I'm in addiction, that naturally isolates me. Mm. And so it seems to me, if I get down to that question, um, does it work for you in your relationships? Right. Does it work for you? Are you yeah. are you feeling loved and, yeah. and supported by others? Yeah. Are you, you know, and then... Then I can feel that in my body going really deep. Deeper. I can, I can yes. feel it down in my lower yeah. chakras, so to speak. Yes. I can feel it in my belly. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh no, I'm, I feel really alone when I'm in the midst of this addiction. Right. And then yes. that question, uh, does this thought work for me? Exactly. Does this action does it? Yes. And I've been working, uh, I've, I've actually been working um, on a show called Says Who for the Addictive Personality um, with a gentleman named Johnny Calloway, who is a, a recovering addict himself. And, you know, those questioning, that questioning is very important for the addict to go deeper in there, to go deeper into what caused you to make those choices for yourself. You know, what is in there deeper that you are feeling, be it isolated, feeling like you're you're worthless. Right, feeling I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. You don't deserve anything. You don't deserve to be loved. You know, these are things that that stem from something very deep within that started long ago. Do you know? So those go to those subconscious yes. beliefs that, which just reminds me when I said beliefs, um, where do, where do our beliefs come from? You you talk, you really kind of dissect that, right? For us. I mean, you know, as I say, our thoughts create our beliefs, create our behavior, creates our reality. Do you know, we all have beliefs. Beliefs are created by our thoughts. We have what's called our core beliefs. Do you know, those core beliefs are really there in the depths of our being. Do you know, those beliefs are are started in a myriad of ways. They could go back to childhood when something was said or told to us that we weren't, you know, going back to just image and self-worth. I believe that begins long ago in childhood. The first time somebody said something to you, be it a parent, a teacher, an authority figure, the bully on the schoolyard who told you you weren't good enough, who told you you were never going to be good at a sport, that you were stupid, that you were ugly. Do you know, we don't come into the world like that. I believe we are these pure divine spirits that come in, and it's only the first time that we encounter something that is either said to us or mirrored to us about us that isn't true, by the way, and we take it on as real, like what how my client took on her father's fear-based mm-hmm. thought is real, and it became hers, and she suffered terribly because of it. So we must question our beliefs. I have a chapter in Says Who, you know, 
old negative beliefs versus current positive beliefs. You can change them out. We can change our beliefs at any given moment. We don't have to be at the effect of an old belief that we've been carrying since childhood into adulthood. Do you know? That's what I'm proposing is to change out those negative and fear-based beliefs that don't serve our well-being. So it seems to me that the way we know our belief is to really be conscious and cognizant of our thoughts. That's right. Now, that's tricky because <laughs> there we have these automatic thoughts and we're not even right. thinking about thinking. So <sighs> your whole premise is that we we slow down the reaction process and say, try and catch the thought in the moment. Absolutely. And that's really what mindfulness is all about. And I am a mindfulness teacher. Mindfulness is an integral part of my teachings in that having an awareness, being present enough to be aware of our own thoughts, you know, so that when a thought comes up, even when it's just gestating, even when it's just percolating, that you get so good at it that you can go, oh, there's that thought just wanting to wreak havoc with me, wanting to tell me how worthless I am, how useless I am, how I'm going to mess this up, or I'm not worthy of a love partner, or I'm never going to get that job. I want people to get that good that they catch those troublemaker thoughts when they are just about to do their thing, which is cause us to react. And I do have a chapter on action thoughts. And and I speak about that very early on in setting the stage for the Says Who Method, teaching people how to become the observer of their thoughts and not the reactor. Very good. I'm thinking of a phrase that you have in your book uh, that might help. At least it did me. It just sort of popped out for me. Is this thought, is it is it cheerleading me or is right. it heckling me? Right. I you know, say that it says it, who. Your, your thought should be your cheering squad, not your hecklers. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so you notice, okay, wait a minute. Is this, is this my cheerleading squad or is this my heckler squad? <laughs> and then that goes into that other part that you're talking about, reaction as opposed to responding. So we if it's if right. it's just an automatic thought we're just automatically reacting. We do. And, you know, I just uh, actually did a little, uh, I do some micro content on Instagram. I do these 59 uh, little mini videos, and I just did something on action thoughts. You know, action thoughts are thoughts that are not premeditated. They come out of the blue. Uh, They are random. And sometimes they come and go in and out of our minds. And then sometimes an automatic thought will come up and we will react to it it'll suddenly get our attention and grip us. And what do we want to do? We want to immediately react to it. And that's when words leave our mouths quickly and we can say something to someone that we wish we hadn't. So that is an automatic thought. And I have something separate, which is an action thought. Automatic thoughts are really important to look at because oftentimes we immediately feel them. We feel it in our body. We feel it viscerally, and what do we want to do? We want to release that feeling. When you go into observation mode, you can be aware of it. Oh, there's that thought. 
there's that thought that I'm about to say something to somebody that I can feel it in my body that I want to release this through. How do we do it? Through anger, through all sorts of emotional heat around what we're feeling, and we say things very quickly. When we're the observer, we take a pause. We take a pause before we're going to say something that maybe we wish we hadn't. You know, it just reminds me of something that I did years ago. Um, This is about driving, because this might come up driving when we're driving and somebody cuts us off or something. So this was years ago. Someone did something stupid driving, and I went into that automatic reaction, and I gave this driver the finger. (laughs) So glad you shared that with us. (laughs) But but what happened changed my life forever. It pissed him off so much that he became an even more dangerous driver. And he did everything, including driving over the median, to get past me to do it back to me. And he it, it almost killed him and almost killed me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I will never, ever do that again. That, I mean, I saw road rage happen, and I caused it. I could have just gotten out of his way and just let him by and let it go, and I didn't. And I almost caused—I almost died, and he almost died. I am so glad you're sharing this with me because I cite that exact thing in my book. I say road rage is a perfect example of when a thought goes south, when an action thought takes us over. Do you know somebody does something to us and we immediately want to get back at them? We feel like we're going to get the revenge. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot in there. It's loaded. It's not just because somebody cuts you off in traffic. It's an opportunity. You know, we get triggered. And if we can really take, as I said, that pause, and where you become a really good observer is you go, whoa, I am so plugged in right now. (laughs) I am about to do something that I know isn't good. Do you know? And that's what I want people to get good at, to go, Wow, you know, I was about to go after this person, which could cost you your life. What, for somebody cutting you off? You know, that's absurd. The things that we do, the things that we react to, the things that we're so quick to get heated about, when you become more mindful of your thoughts, you're not going to find yourself being susceptible to that kind of impulsivity, do you know, so quickly. Exactly, exactly. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Aura Nadrich, and she is the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, auranadrich.com, and she spells her name Aura, O-R-A, and her last name is Nadrich, N-A-D-R-I-C-H, auranadrich.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Aura Nadrich. She's a life uh, coach and also a meditation teacher, a mindfulness teacher, and also the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. And Aura, I want to get to the last two questions for sure. So the, we've gone through acknowledge your thoughts, Have I heard someone say this before? Do I like this thought? Does this thought work for me? We've gone through those. Now, the next question is, am I in control of this thought? Does this thought make me feel better is also another one in there. Make me feel better, which is, you know, similar to does this work for me? Okay. But does this make me feel better? That's a a good question. Does this make me feel better or worse? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So that's that one. But what about am I in control of this thought? What what would you say about that? That one is, like I said earlier, you know, that's when we really feel taken over by our mind. And that's Mm -hmm. when we get taken over by our thoughts. And we don't need for that to happen by questioning our thoughts. You know, when a thought really has a strong hold on us and we don't question it and we don't challenge it and do the very things that I'm suggesting through the Sezu method, then yeah, you feel like you're taken over. And I've had many clients say to me, oh, or I feel so taken over by this thought, by this belief. Uh, It had me running ragged all day. I mean, the things that people go through because they feel taken over by a thought. That's why it's so important to question it. Well, that's the whole premise of all of your work is that we can question it. We do not just have to accept this. We can, and in fact, it's really, it's good for our well-being to question it. Absolutely. The inquiry is important. The investigation is important. We have a right to question our own thinking mind. You wouldn't let other people talk to you like that. The way we talk to ourselves, if we were really privy to what people are saying to themselves, we certainly know what we're saying to ourselves. And it could be very, very critical, even abusive, the things that we mm-hmm. say to ourselves is, is quite shocking, do you know? So we need to challenge that. You know, I always say you wouldn't let another person talk to you the way you talk to yourself. Those thoughts that you harbor, that you hold, and that you accept readily, you just allow for it in your own thinking mind, and then you feel taken over. Like you're a hostage to your own thinking mind. Well, think about that. You have a say in the matter. You can change that up if you want to. And I want to say that, you know, sometimes people get attached to their negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people get attached to their worried thoughts. Some people get attached to beating themselves up. Do you know? And It's a habit. It's It's a habit, and they don't know what to replace it with because they haven't thought differently. And it's, you know, an attachment to a way of thinking that maybe you think is serving your well-being, but it probably isn't. It can create all sorts of problems that you have also learned to live with. You know, thoughts can affect our health. The scientific studies today prove that to be true. So question those thoughts. They're important to question. So when you say replace, can you can you help us to know that process of replacing a thought? That that seems a little bit tricky to me. You know, I love the release and replace method, and a lot of my clients get tremendous value out of it. And it's really very effective in that, let's just say a negative thought pops up for you, and it just 
doesn't make you feel good. You know, you've answered those questions. It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't work for you. You don't like it, you know. And you can say to yourself at that point, you know, I really need to change that thought to something that's going to help me get done what I want to get done. So by releasing again, that's letting it go and replacing it with a thought that might help you get this radio show done. Mm -hmm. Let's just say you had a thought pop up for you that wasn't going to help you conduct this interview in the best way possible. Wouldn't you want to replace that thought with this radio interview is going to go great? Do you know? So you're you're not talking about something that's Pollyannish or that no. oh, oh let's not let's only think positive thoughts. You're not talking no. about like like um, being no. uninformed about our surrounding environment or culture or any of that. No. It's not about that. No, and I'm really glad you're saying that because I say I didn't write a quick fix book here. This isn't about like oh let's just think positive, positive, positive all the time, and we're just going to stay so positive all the time. Guess what? That's not real. That is not real. That is not the real thinking mind. We have negative thoughts. We have fear-based. We have a lot of thoughts. As we talked about, 70,000 thoughts going in and out of our heads daily is an awful lot of thinking. And I want people to be responsible for their thoughts. I want people to understand their thinking mind better. It's a big responsibility to know your own mind. There's nothing Pollyanna about this at all. You are going to have thoughts that are going to cause you despair. They're going to cause you a lot of ill feeling, and you're going to want to know them better. You're going to have thoughts that are going to grip you that maybe are going to cause you to think that you should reach out for that drug that could be the beginnings of becoming a heroin addict. Know your mind. It's important. I say your mind is like a Learjet. You better be a pretty good pilot and know how to fly that thing. And I wrote a book to know how to navigate the thinking mind waters. The sea, as we know, is not always calm. Sometimes the waters are very treacherous and very choppy. And you're going to want to know how to be a good sailor of that sh- of that boat. The same applies to the mind. You're going to have thoughts that are going to be very scary. They're going to be really painful. They're going to be really difficult for you. You're going to want to know how to navigate your thinking mind better. That's what I'm proposing. This is the technique. This is the method that I'm offering up to people so that it can make your human experience less about the suffering. Do you know? Know your mind. You know, Buddha talked about it. Know your mind. Your thoughts create your reality. Know what reality you want to create for yourself. I'm reminded of a Tibetan saying, uh, which is, um, if you want to know the past, to know what has caused you, look at yourself in the present, for that is the past effect. If you want to know your future, then look at yourself in the present, mm. for that is the cause of the future. So Beautiful. that's what you're saying. Yes. is like right here, right now, know what you're thinking. Bring it up to your consciousness. That's and right. and it's a daily practice. You're you're talking about you talk about I, I think uh uh daily mental cleanup. Yes, it's a daily discipline. You know, you know, understanding the mind, there is another great Buddhist saying, you know, uh, you know your mind or it will control you, do you know? And becoming familiar with your mind requires a wanting, first and foremost, and a commitment 
to understanding the way our thoughts work and this very powerful thing called the the mind, do you know, and the thoughts that are housed in the thinking mind. So yes, it's a discipline. It's like you want to get into shape, you work out or you walk or you do things that are healthy for the body. Do you know you eat better? We need to discipline our mind. Again, going back to the monkey mind, our mind will run us ragged if we let it. We have a choice. Do we want to, you know, put our house in order, our mental house in order, the house of self, or do we want to just let it run wild and ragged and be at the effect of those thoughts and then feel like our mind is controlling us? You know, I'm also thinking of uh, another idea that... um so if if we're working with this and and we're doing pretty well and then we kind of fall off the wagon <laughs> so to speak uh there's there's a phrase that I often use for myself um that helps to keep me on track let's say if I have the goal to to know my thoughts and to keep them cleaned out but then I find myself one day that I've just been a worry all day long or whatever to say ah up until now, it's been, you know, I, I can change, though. Up until now, it's been like that. But right now, in the present, I can do something about it. And often, for me, I, I make the goal of a baby step rather mm-hmm. than a huge leap of saying, oh, I'll never think of that thought again. So what can you say about that? No, and I agree with you, you know, calling something like a baby step. I even talk about that, you know, dieting is something that people have a really hard time, you know, sticking to because I say your thoughts don't continue to support your goal. And the minute somebody, let's say, cheats on a diet, what's the first thing they start to do is they start to beat themselves up mentally with their thoughts. Oh, I'm useless. I'm never going to be successful at dieting. Why bother? So I had a client say to me, you know, came in with a session and said, Aura, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And I said, oh, that, that's great. And she kept repeating it. Did, did you hear what I said? I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And what I really explained to her is that's a great goal to have. But even just saying, I want to lose weight is a great thing to yeah. say. You know, sometimes people set themselves up and taking that first step and I'm going to eat differently. I'm going to really make an effort to stick to a diet this time. You know, these are the preliminary thoughts that really build the foundation, a good solid foundation, so that we can continue having our thoughts support the very goal that we have, which is maybe to use the example of losing weight. Baby steps is a great thing to look at and and say, I say one thought at a time. (laughs) That's a baby step. And by the way, who you are today, you've never been before. You know, so start with one new thought today. Do you know? You don't have to have these huge epic changes all in one minute, do you know, or all in one thought, one thought at a time. Oh, beautifully said. Thank you so much. Or I want to thank you so much for being with us on New Dimensions today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I've been here with Aura Nadrich, and she is the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question can change the way you think forever. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, auranabrich.com, and she spells her name Aura, O-R-A-N-A-D-R-I-C-H, auranabrich.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. 
You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3635. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.